Heavenly Father, once again we come before you on a Sunday morning, time that we have dedicated to the worship of your name, of your holiness, of your person. And Lord, we ask that you would help us as we sing these songs, sing them in worship to your goodness, to your grace, to your power and blessings in our lives. And Lord, we ask that we would allow you to teach us from your word today, to challenge us and to rebuke us when we need it, that we may walk in the ways that you would have us to walk. Lord, we ask that you would use this time to strengthen us, that we may bring glory to your name through the coming week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And I want us to look at two passages very quickly. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And verse 10, Jesus is speaking here. He is arguing with the Pharisees, the religious leaders uh, of the day. And he is trying to explain to them that he is the way to the Father, that he is the truth of the religion that they claim to participate in. In verse 10, he says, "...the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy..." I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Now, I'll tell you, that's a beautiful promise. Jesus said the purpose of his coming was to give life, and that life more abundant. And I want you to turn now to Matthew chapter 16. And uh, I'll tell you what, you don't have to go very far to hear uh, much preaching on that abundant life and the blessings that God wants to give. And boy, I'll tell you, you can get quite extravagant as they uh, promise all your bills paid, money in the bank and uh, new clothes and anything you want, God will give you. Now, that is in direct conflict with this passage in the Bible. And I want you to look with me as we start in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 16. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, if you were with us last Sunday morning, we started a series on on these verses, on the conflict that is between these verses as Jesus promised life and let life more abundant. And yet, here in Matthew chapter 16, he says, if you're going to follow me, You've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross. You've got to follow me. If you're going to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll save it. And of course, uh, this conflict is the central theme to Scripture. And what we are trying to do over the next several weeks, this, this week we're going to look at people who tried to live life. You know, the Bible tells us that the stories in the Old Testament are there for our ensamples. They're, they're living 
pictures of life to help us understand how people really lived and, and dealt with these things. And we're going to uh, look uh, at, at how people lived in conflict with these verses. And I do want to make sure that uh, as we have some visitors here this week that we do not believe there's any conflict in the Scripture. We do not believe one Scripture conflicts with another Scripture. There, there is an answer, and that answer is what we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks. And so what I want you to do with me is let's go back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And some people say, well, Pastor, do you really believe that Genesis is a true historical narrative? Yes, I do. I have no problems with the book of Genesis. It's a whole lot easier to believe that God said, and everything that now is out of nothing became, than it is to believe that it got here by chance. Uh, it's just absolute mathematical impossibility. Uh, a man once tried to do the math. He, what he did was he, he took the um, recumbent, R, recumbent, I'm sorry, RNA in the cell, that's an arrangement of certain proteins which builds the DNA, which builds the cell. So, I mean, we're going not even, we're going to sub-life here. You have to have this in order for life to exist. And he took the different chemicals of there and the possible combinations, and he said that it would have to produce enough bacterial life to cover the entire surface of the earth, including the ocean, three feet deep of microscopic organisms to get one possible combination. Do you get that? We're talking about something that you have to magnify hundreds of times to see, piled up three feet deep over every square inch of the earth's surface for only one combination to be right. And yet, for you to have life, there are literally tens of thousands of those combinations working in perfect order. It's a whole lot easier to believe in God than it is to believe what man thinks up. And even the evolutionists say we all have one common ancestor as mankind. Yeah, his name was Adam, amen? God made him that way. And they lived in a place, look at verse uh, uh, 15 here, it says of chapter 2 of the book of Genesis, and the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Now, how many of you have ever had the privilege of dressing and keeping a garden? I mean, that is some of the most rewarding work I know of, watching things grow and then getting to eat the things that you grew. That's the best part. Amen. Uh, and Adam was put into the garden to dress and keep it. And God's going to give him some instruction here in verse, 15, in verse 16. And the Lord... God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou 
shalt surely die. Now skip with me to verse 1 of chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he, the serpent, said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now people say, how did, this, how did snakes talk? Did all the animals talk? Is Dr. Doolittle real? Uh, please, be careful with your Bible. You can get so distracted that you miss the point that God's trying to make. I'll tell you what, where does temptation come from? It comes from our own flesh. It comes from the devil, doesn't it? So who do you think was talking? Well, the devil was talking through the snake. Amen? And the devil was asking a question. And the devil has always, from day one, questioned God's Word. And the devil, from day one, has promised us a better life. But the devil is the father of all liars. He is the originator of... Of the lie, as far as the human race is concerned. And so he asked this question. He says, did God really say you can't eat of all these trees? Now, what did God said? He said, you can eat of every one of these trees except one. Now, that's a big difference, is it not? The devil's saying you can't eat of any of these things. You see... We get this idea that because we can't have something, that we're missing out. That somehow our life is going to be enhanced because of this very thing that we cannot have. How many of you were growing up, your parents said, don't smoke cigarettes? How many of that happened? Now, don't raise your hands this time. How many of you went out and smoked them anyway? Anybody here want to stand up and give a testimony as the good effects of Marlboro in their life? How that cigar smoke was one of the best blessings that they have ever had. I don't know anything stinks worse than that. I'm sorry. But all the doctors and all the lawyers and all the people today, they tell us that that's bad for you. Somebody said, I know you guys are against all this smoking and stuff. Yeah, there's one reason why I'm against smoking. It's because if I'm holding a cigarette in one hand and my Bible in the other, I'm going to give Jesus a bad testimony. That's why I don't like smoking. Why did it get so quiet this morning? I thought we were in agreement on this. Amen. That's, that's why we don't like these things is because they give a bad reputation to the Lord Jesus Christ. But listen, the devil went on and they had this conversation here. And, and in verse 3, Eve made the classic mistake that so many people make in this life, she added to God's Word. You see, God said that you weren't allowed to eat it. 
Read with me here. In verse 2, the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. We can eat of everything. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye what? Well, what was Eve doing? The seed of all false religion is right there. Neither shall ye touch it. In those words. You see... All false religion, whether it's the animist in the deepest, darkest jungles to the people that go to church and talk about Jesus, all false religion has this one point. I'm going to help God out. I'm going to do something that, you see, God said you should never eat it. But let me tell you something, if you don't touch it, you'll never eat it. Isn't that true? Isn't it true? It's absolutely true. But rules made by man were made for one purpose. To be broken. How many, ta- how many of you made rules, some rules for yourself? The beginning of this year... I made some New Year's resolutions. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to do this, you know. And I'm not against New Year's resolutions, but you know what? That kind of rulemaking doesn't work very long or very well, now does it? You know something? If you won't read your Bible because God said so, you won't read it because you give yourself a piece of cheesecake every day. Now, you will gain weight if you do that, but it's not the reason why we do what we do. It won't last. And so Eve added to God's word, and now the devil knows that Eve is standing in her own reasoning, in her own thought processing, and he denies God's word. Ye shall not surely die. Now, was the devil lying? Of course he was. But was he telling the truth at the same time? Of course he was. You say, well, how can you lie and tell the truth at the same time? Well, just turn on the radio and listen to what the politicians say. They do it every day. Amen? Uh, I mean, it's easy to do. You see, the devil was smart enough to know that the physical body wasn't going to die. But the spiritual would. You see, God created us to have communion and fellowship with Him. People have often said, how how are we created in the image of God? There is so much diversity in the human genome. How can... Uh, We look so different, and yet as mankind be created in the image of God. Well, that's really simple when you open your Bible. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. How many of you believe that this body right here holding your clothes up is the only part of you that exists? We all know there's something more than just the outward appearance We know that there's something different about human life than there is about animal life. I don't care how intelligent dolphins are supposed to be. They're not human. 
there's a difference. You see, God created that difference. He created us with a body. The Son, Jesus, had a body. Amen? He created us with a soul. The Father. The seed of emotions. The will. The part of you that really makes choices in how you ought to live. But see, this is where God's different. We have God the Holy Spirit. That was the part of God that had intimate contact with humankind. When we were originally created, guess what? We had a spirit that corresponded to that spirit. And that's how Adam and Eve were able to talk to God in the ways that are specified in the Scripture as the voice of God came walking in the cool of the evening. But the moment they ate of that fruit, that spirit died. There was no more connection with God. When the Holy Spirit would come as the voice of God walking in the garden in the evening, there was nothing to connect with because it was dead. It was dead in trespasses and sins. And by the way, that's why Jesus said you, you must be born again. You see, that's how life starts is through birth. Amen? And God wants to give you a new birth, a new life, His life. He, he loans us the Holy Spirit of God until we can be recreated in His image and joined with Him in the way that we should in heaven one day. But I want you to, to look here in verse 5. The devil says, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then shall your eyes be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You know, the best lies are made up of the most truth. The devil was 100% accurate in this statement, because you'll notice when the word gods is used, it's little g, little o, little d, little s. He did not say, you will become God. Read Isaiah chapter 14. He'd already tried that. didn't work. He said, but you can become like little gods. And you will know both good and evil. See, right now, all you know is good. But you'll know both then. Well, what's the hook? Once you know evil... You can't go back. You can't get rid of it. See, wasn't the devil actually promising Eve life more abundant than what she had? He was promising her greater knowledge and greater understanding of the universe in which she lived. He was actually saying, you'll be more like God once you eat this. And the Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Occasionally I'll run into somebody and they'll say, Well, I wish Eve hadn't eaten that apple well, number one, it wasn't an apple. 
It was the tree, it was the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was its own fruit because it had its own characteristics and its own thing. And, and uh, uh, God had made it different from every other tree. It wasn't something where Eve could just walk through and say, Oh, I made a mistake. I took the wrong apple. No, this fruit was different than anything else. It was recognizably different because God made a command. He said, you can do everything in the garden you want except this one thing. And the devil brought her around to her attention, was only on that one thing. said, God's withholding something from you. You'll be better if you just disobey God. You'll, you'll be smarter. And see, Eve had already stepped to the very edge of the precipice by trying to help God out and protect His Word. You know, there, there are people today that go around having debates on evolution versus uh, creation and on the history of the Bible. And I'm not necessarily against those things, but I'm certainly not for them. Because you can't debate this. You have to choose to believe it. There's a difference. Now, if you want reasons... To believe the Bible versus whatever you want to believe, I'd be happy to sit down and you bring your toughest questions, bring your encyclopedia and whatever else you want, and uh, I'll bring my Bible, and, and I'll show you in the Word of God why it's better to trust God's Word than it is to trust yourself. But I'm not going to debate these things. We're not going to go back and forth and and try to uh, 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 have a reasoning here, because if you refuse to accept God as the sum total of all authority and all reason, then we have very little to discuss. You know, in all of our desire to witness to the world and meet the world, some people have given up on the absolute person of God. So almost put it this way, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If I make God like man, then this book called the Bible is a very silly book. But God isn't like man. God is God. And he put Adam and Eve in the garden, and the devil promised them that life, and Eve looked at that fruit and she said, it's good for food. God's withholding something good for me. It's beautiful to look at. It's pleasant to behold. And you know what? If I'll eat this fruit, it'll make me smarter. It'll give me wisdom that I don't possess right now. And as she stretched out to enhance her life, she brought death upon the entire human race. You see, the reason this story's in here is to help you and I understand. And we could have people stand up in this auditorium today and give testimony if they would, if they wanted to. 
and say, listen, I was a young person and I was reaching out and I had life by the tail, as they say. I had all of those things. And I found out it was absolutely worthless. It didn't satisfy. There was no peace. There was nothing to be gained in the things of this world. Adam and Eve now knew both good and evil and had lost fellowship with God. Uh, Let me tell you, that was a very, very poor trade. Now, one of the reasons we encourage you to be here at 1030 for our Through the Bible time is so that we will know the Bible stories and learn them because this morning we're going to be spending most of our time in the stories and then going back at the end and using the living illustrations from the Bible uh, to help us understand uh, these verses that are in the Bible and the agreement that they actually have. I want you to turn with me to the book of Second Samuel. We're going to go up centuries in time here to the life of David. Now, David, his story is an amazing story. As just a young teenage boy, Saul had rejected following the Lord, the first king of Israel. And God went to Samuel the prophet and he said, Why are you weeping for Saul? He's made his decision. He's not going to get right with me. And Saul never did. He said, I want you to take your horn of oil and I want you to anoint a new king, a man that's going to be after my own heart. Now, how many people know who we're talking about? Talking about David, aren't we? And I love the picture there as Samuel comes, the old grizzled prophet and the elders of Bethlehem said, are you coming peaceably? He says, I have sacrifice to do. Yes, sir. I want Jesse and his household to come. And, and so the, they scampered off and they found Jesse. And he said, I want to see your sons. And Jesse brought seven of his sons and stood them before the prophet. And the prophet said, I don't want any of these. You, got, you have to have another son. He says, oh yeah, I have the youngest son, but he's out keeping the sheep. He's really not that important. He's the baby of the family. I mean, uh, Samuel said, we're not going to sit down until he's here. And so somebody goes running off and brings David and they come running back and, and old Samuel takes those big brothers of David who are strong men in and of their own uh, ability, each one of them, and makes a circle facing outward. And inside that hidden shield, he reaches in and pulls a vial of oil out of his Uh, out of his robe and he breaks that uh, horn of oil and he pours it over David's head and he said, God has anointed you to be the next king of Israel. Could you imagine hearing those words as maybe a 12 or 13 year old boy? Hey, I'm going to be the next king. No, that wasn't David's attitude. It was, I don't know how to come out and go in. 
Lord, teach me how to behave. Lord, you make me the man that you want me to be. And where did David go after he was anointed? He went right back out in the fields to keep the sheep. Now, I love this story. I mean, we could spend the whole morning on the life of David. A bear came out. Wanted mutton stew for lunch. He got a staff through the gizzard. Now, I know bears don't have gizzards, but you understand what I'm talking about. A lion came out. David said, listen, I've got a job. It's to protect the sheep. And if I let the lion eat the sheep, I'm not doing my job. Therefore, I've got to fight the battle with the lion. Uh, I, David said, I have a staff and I have a sling. I, I think the staff would have worked pretty good on the bear, but uh, I'll tell you what, if it was a lion, I'd like to get him before he got close enough to get me. The slingshot sounds a little better. Uh, and that was not a slingshot. It was actually a, uh, a leather cup. It was on a tether uh, about six feet in diameter, and he would swing that thing. And let me tell you, it was a deadly, deadly weapon. Goliath found out about that the hard way. The Bible says the stone sunk in. That means it was flying pretty good. Talk about terminal headaches. Anison isn't going to help you with that one now, is it? As Goliath fell down to the earth, and this was years later, David was the champion over Goliath. He was then elevated to the chief uh, of staff of the armies of Israel, second only to Saul, only to have Saul get jealous of him and demote him to a captain of a hundred. Then he was offered the king's daughter and to become the son-in-law to the king. And he went out and, and avenged King Saul of his enemies, double what was asked, and delivered double the dowry that the king had asked, and was made the king's son-in-law, only to be chased out of his home and away from his wife by a jealous father-in-law. Boy, I don't know how to do that. Saul hunted him to kill him. The Bible gives us several stories where David had the opportunity to put an end to Saul's life and to the trouble in his own life. And yet, he said, that's not the way God works. I will not avenge myself. I'll let God do it. David became king and there was peace. And he defeated the greatest armies of the world in his area and was able to secure his people and to secure their borders and to give the people prosperity and peace. And in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. Verse 4, And David sent messengers and took her. You know what? Did David know that it was wrong to commit adultery? Good night, the Ten Commandments were over almost 500 years old at this time. Over 500 years old. 
David had copied them out according to the commandment of God. If he was uh, following, the God, God said, when you have a king, he's supposed to copy the words of these laws and live them. And, and as far as we know, David certainly did that. He wrote many of the Psalms and he knew what God's word said, but he was tempted to grab that little bit of life that he thought he was missing. You know what? He got it. I'm glad our Bible is able to be read by even the youngest of children and not pollute their mind with all kinds of details that are not fitting for little children to read. God's very carefully how He words things. But because David chose to try to cover his sins with blood. He put Bathsheba's husband in the hottest part of the battle. They retired from him. He was killed. And a lot of people miss this, but you know what David was really doing? When he took Bathsheba as his wife, there were probably a lot of people thinking, you know, the law said that if a brother leave his wife childless, that the brother would preserve the name uh, of the family and raise up seed to, uh, or, uh, you know, children to uh, take his brother's place, that actually David was saying, Uriah is just like a brother to me. Talk about the height of hypocrisy and deceit. Blood wouldn't depart from David's house. His body would hardly be cold in the grave before his fourth son would be killed Solomon, uh, by Solomon, the new king, because of the things that he desired. And you study the sins of those four sons. The one son died in infancy because he was the illegitimate offspring of the adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. You know what David said about that son? He said, I'll go to him, but he's not coming to me. But when Absalom died, what did he say? He said, my son, my son, would I had died for thee. Because he knew Absalom was going to a place that he would never see him again. You know what? David thought he was going to have life in those few moments. It was an opportunity for him to get some forbidden fruit that very few people have partaken of. But David regretted it till the day he died. You see, that's what the devil does, is it not? But I'd like you to turn to another passage, if you would. I'd like you to turn to the book of Job. Now, I wish we had time this morning to go through the whole book of Job. But if you follow your Bible reading calendar, you'll get to read it at least once in a year. Amen? And the book of Job is one of those 
how we say, mysterious books in the Bible. I mean, it's, it's one that few people read deep enough to really get an understanding of, but we, we have Job here, and let's just start in verse 1 of chapter 1. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. That man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters, and it goes through all of his substance. And we come down here. Uh, to verse uh, 8, the devil is actually standing before God, and God says, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like unto him, like him in the earth? Now, how would you like God to say that about you? Here the devil is, and he said, You know what? Have you looked at Job? There's not another believer in me and all the earth that does a better job of serving me than Job does. Now remember who's speaking here. God is speaking about Job. Now how many know what's going to happen? You've read the story. Job's going to lose all of his possessions in a moment of time including his children. And we get down here to the end of verse 1. It says, In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Job said, My faith in God is more important than anything that I possess. It is more important than the lives of my family. I believe God is still in charge, though I've lost everything. My faith in God is worth more than anything that I can see or understand. Tell you what, that's incredible testimony, is it not? But it wasn't finished yet. Chapter 2, Job loses his health. Then things really get difficult because his friends show up to help him. I mean, you often, I'm sure everybody's heard the little phrase we use, if with friends like these, who needs enemies? That came from the book of Job. It, it really did. That's where it's sorted and, and the idea from that idea comes from. And, and the bulk of the book of Job, of its 42 chapters, are his three friends trying to help him by uh, accusing him of every crime known to mankind and telling him how that there's no way that he could be righteous and God allow all these bad things to happen to him. Now we get down to chapter, and, and then we get to right to the end of the book, and who shows up? God does. And he's full of kindness and compassion for Job, isn't he? Not yet. You see, Job, in trying to explain all of his things to his friends, had charged God foolishly. Had said some things that he shouldn't have said. And God says, stand up and I'm going to demand of you. And I'm going to straighten you out, young man. And God did. 
And Job repents as I repent in dust and ashes. And we come to chapter 42, verse 10. It says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came there unto him all his brethren and all his sisters and all they that had been his acquaintance before and did eat bread with him in his house and they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money and every one an earring of gold. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. And it goes through all of his possessions and Verse 16 says, After this lived Job an hundred and forty years, and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations. So Job died being old and full of days. You know, people have read through this book and said, Well, you know, God put Job all that so that he could give him twice what he had at the beginning book. He was already the richest man in the East. I want to challenge you today that you read and study the book of Job and God never once gives a reason why Job suffered the way he did. God does not have to give you and I reasons why He does what He does. But let me tell you something. When Job had lost it all, he said, my relationship with God is much more important. When his own wife came to him and said, why do you retain your integrity? Why do you still believe in God? Just curse God and die. It's over, Job. And Job said, no, it's never over with God. And it wasn't. He still had 140 years to go. Uh, that's a long life by anybody's standards. But that was not uh, the beginning of his life. That was not the whole of his life. That was just the end portion of his life. You see, Job understood something. He understood that even suffering with God is greater than having everything you want in the world. See, that's a little thing, it's a little word we call faith. Faith is accepting God because He is God. If you were here for Sunday school, Brother Franz talked about Pharaoh. He was not going to accept God. He wanted proof. Well, he's about to get it. Come next week. But even though he gets all the proof, he still doesn't believe in God. Because you can't prove God to somebody who doesn't want to accept Him. If you want to know what the theme of the book of Job is, I, I believe, and I'm just giving you my opinion at this point, is simply let God be God. Let God be God. 
God has things that He wants to accomplish that He doesn't have to explain to us. And He may ask you to walk through some dark waters of suffering and trial. But God never asks anyone to suffer needlessly. He has reasons that belong to Him. And I think if we could have Job's testimony today, he would say, I'm glad I serve God in the good times and in the bad. Because there is no other that deserves our worship than God. Amen? And by the way, don't fall into this little trinket of false thinking. Uh, There is only one true God, but there are many, many false gods out there. You cannot have the true God without this book. You cannot believe in the true God of the Bible without believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Life is in Christ. Amen? Now, let's look at one more very quickly here. And I I want you just to go to Romans chapter 4. And we just want to spend a few minutes talking about Abraham. You know, when God came to Abraham, He said, Get up out of your land and away from your kindred. And Abraham gave all that up and began to travel. The Bible in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 says, He went whither he, he, not, he didn't know whether he was, whither he was going. He had no direction other than he was seeking for a city that wasn't made by man. You know, the only piece of the land of Canaan that Abraham owned was the cave of Machpelah where his wife Sarah was buried. That's all he had. He had the promise that God said, look at the stars and your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars in heaven. And yet, his wife couldn't have a child. And finally, at a hundred years old, God miraculously gave birth to a little boy named Isaac, which means God shall laugh. Don't tell God he can't do something. He just might do it. And he did. But how many of you are familiar with Genesis chapter 22? When God came to Abraham and said, I want you to take Isaac and sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. Tell you what, those are some pretty hard words. And I've heard preachers preach sermons that Abraham was in despair of his soul and he didn't know what he was going to do and how he's going to explain to Mrs. Abraham he had killed their son. And I'll tell you, that's foolishness. That's not in the Bible. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Abraham had faith that God said, in Isaac your seed's going to be called. If God wanted Isaac dead, then God would raise him back from the dead. Read, read Hebrews chapter 11. That's what it says. Abraham was called the friend of God. Because God revealed to his friend on that mountain as he was looking at the body of his son bound upon that altar, hearing the voice of God that said, Touch not the lad. 
he began to realize and understand that somebody else was going to show up in that same place a few centuries later. Only there wouldn't be any sacrifice for his son. Because God's son is the only sacrifice. And he was trying to help his friend to understand what he was going through. Tell you what. God of this book called the Bible wants to have a relationship with you as an individual. But we've got to look at history. You have got to make a choice. Are you going to line up with Adam and Eve? And reach out for that thing that you don't have, that you've been told you can't have, that it's forbidden, that you're not allowed to, uh, that it's going to hurt you. And yet, everywhere you go, you said, well, that's just not true. It's going to help you. I'll tell you what, you reach out to grab life and realize your life, you're going to destroy it. That's what happened to Adam and Eve, was it not? What they thought was life was actually death. How about David? He thought he was going to get something. You know what? He did. But it led to the rest of his life being in despair and misery. He lived those few moments. I met a man one time, he... He was talking about sin and how much fun he was having. I said, yes, sir. I said, the Bible tells us there's pleasure in sin, but it's only for a season. And he said, yes, but oh, what a season. I said, the only problem is we got four of them every year. And eternity is long, my friend. You can choose to have your season if you want to. I'll tell you what. I'd rather have eternity with Christ. You see, Jesus wasn't kidding when he said, I've come to give you life and that life more abundantly. But you and I aren't capable of making the right choices. That's why we have to come to the death of ourselves. That's why we have to take up a cross. That's why we have to say no to me and yes to Jesus because He will change our decisions. He will order our lives in a direction that is far better than anything that we could understand or ask for. These verses have perfect agreement with each other. You see, I didn't give up anything to have Christ. I've met people over the years and their testimony was, well, you know, I was very successful in business and I was this and that and I gave it all up to become a preacher. Well, first place I want to look is how tight does your suit fit? You're probably doing a little better than you seem to intimate. Amen? Amen? I'll tell you what, I didn't give up anything. 
except a bunch of wishful thinking about things that would have destroyed me if I had gotten them. Because no matter how well I tried to order my life, I'm going to choose death. It's programmed. That's what Adam and Eve did. That's what David did. That's what every one of us will do. But when we choose life in Jesus Christ, hey, guess what? I'm not making the decisions anymore. I'm not determining what's going on. I'm letting Jesus make those decisions. And He's guided me through this life to this point. And I'll tell you what, I wouldn't trade what He's done in my life for anything you could imagine. Because I want to serve Him. Because He is God. He is life. See, Jesus said, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Adam and Eve tried to save their life. They tried to get more wisdom. They tried to get the things that God said that they shouldn't have because they were told and they believed that it would enhance them and all they got was death. I like Abraham. He left his family. He left his way of life. And by the way, if I'm not mistaken, the architects tell us that in Ur of the Chaldees, when Abraham was living there two millennia before Jesus was born, that they actually had hot and cold running water in the city of Ur. Uh, that they had many of our modern day amenities that we talk so much about. I can take you to places here in the United States where they still don't have running water. Unless you're going to run out and get it. But Abraham left all that to live in a tent because he wanted to be where God wanted him to be. He took his son to the top of that mountain. And when it was done, he said, Now I see how much God loves me. It says, He said, God shall provide himself a sacrifice. He didn't say God shall provide a sacrifice for himself. He said God shall provide himself a sacrifice. And he said, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Abraham was the first to understand. And in the book of Romans, I don't think we read the verse. Last half of verse 11 says that he might be the father of all them that believe. Though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. You know how Abraham was going to have so many children? Not just because there would be so many Jewish people on the face of the earth. But the Arab people take their descent back to Abraham. But every person that believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, it says... Our seed is accounted as a spiritual seed of Abraham. Now, let me ask you a question. We'll be done. Are you willing to lose your life so that you can save it? That's how you get saved. You give your life to Jesus Christ. Lock, stock, and barrel. It's that simple.
The problem is we don't want to do that. We want to keep a hold of it. We want to stay a little bit in control. Uh, Lord, can't I just have a a controlling interest in this thing? Lord, can't I just uh, keep a little bit of my life? I I just want one finger on the wheel just in case. No, that's not faith, my friend. It's a total surrender to Jesus Christ. If you have lost your life, if you've given it up for Jesus, you know that you have a great life, an abundant life, in Him. Amen? And if you're still holding on to it today, my only challenge is, will you let it go that you could embrace Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before You. Lord, we've tried to look at the lives of these four individuals and how that they chose life and chose death. Lord, we'd like to think that everybody in this auditorium is saved and on their way to heaven. But we know that's not true. The Bible says, broad is the way, wide is the gate. Many be that go in thereat. It says that few find that straight gate and narrow way which leadeth unto life. Lord, the first prayer this morning is for those who are struggling to enter into that gate. That today would be the day they would surrender and give their life to you. Lord, we pray for those that are saved. That we would not become like David. Who knew what was right and did wrong anyway. That you would give us grace. To follow you and your word all the way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as Brother Franz comes and leads us in the hymn of invitation.